Romans chapter 12, continuing today in our series on the gospel according to Paul. Romans chapter 12, we'll start reading in verse number 3. For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God hath dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Father God, thank you for your word. I pray you'd bless it to our hearts. I pray you'd fill me with your spirit. Forgive me for any... Uh, any sin, anything that would hinder my usefulness. Help me, Lord, today to just preach the Word. I pray no pet peeves would enter in. pray, Father, You'd help me to say only those things You once said and boldly say what I ought to. And I pray, Lord, You'd give us all ears to hear, that our hearts and minds would be open to Your Word today, that we would recognize that this is indeed the Word of God, and we would receive it as such. I pray, Lord, if there are those without Christ, that even though this is not a message directed at the at the, the salvation message, I pray, Father, nonetheless, Holy Spirit gets hold of them and they hear it and uh, they trust Christ. And I pray, Lord, for Christians who are here, that, uh, Father, they'll take this to heart. They'll think through these things. They'll apply it to their life. And, uh, Lord, we'll, uh, we'll see changes as a result. So help us, teach us, and we just give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if we were to try to outline chapter 12, it might look something like this. Verses 1 and 2 would describe the Christian and his relationship to God. We've spent a couple of weeks on verses 1 and 2, and that's pretty much what we've been talking about, the Christian and his relationship to God. Verses 3 through 8 that we're going to look at today is the Christian and his relationship to the church. And then if we were to look at verses 9 through 21, if the Lord tarries his coming, we'll see that he's talking about the Christian and his relationship toward others in general. That's one way we might outline the chapter. And it's interesting, I think, when I think about that, it's interesting the order. The Christian in his relationship to God, the Christian in his relationship to the church, and then finally the Christian in his relationship toward others in general. I think the order is interesting because I think what Paul might be implying there is that we cannot be right with others if we are not square on the role the church plays in our life first. And we cannot be right with respect to Christ's church if we don't first have a right relationship with God uh, at the very beginning. And I think that's clear in Paul's first admonition in this section. Look at verse number 3. He says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. We are what we are by the grace of God and nothing else. We have what we have, all of it, whether it be health or wealth or privilege or success or anything, by the grace of God and nothing else. And we need to start right there in our understanding, or we're not going to have right relationships with God or right relationships with others. There is no place for pride. We all know that. We would all shake our heads to it. There is a need for sober-minded thinking, Paul said, recognition of all God has done. And does in our lives. Has to start there. 
Paul said the same thing in his letter to the Corinthians. Do you remember in 1 Corinthians when we studied that a while back? He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, You see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak, weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. The Pharisee in Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the publican would be a good example of somebody who thought too highly of himself. You remember the Pharisee? He went up to pray and he said, God, I thank thee that I am not like other men. We have any of those in here? We have anybody who prays like that? Have you ever seen anybody walk in here and the first thought that came to your mind was, ooh, has that ever happened? You need to read verse number three. You need to get it down. Has there ever been somebody walking these doors you didn't want to talk to because you felt they were beneath you? You need to read verse number three. You're thinking too highly of yourself. James Montgomery Boyce, in his comments on this verse, he shares this story. He said, some time ago I came across the story of a man who imagined himself to be quite spiritual He was talking with a more mature friend, and he asked his friend to pray for him that he might be humble. He said, pray for me that I might be nothing. His friend replied with some wisdom, you are nothing, brother. Take it by faith. And it's true. We need to think soberly. You know, we're on the road to developing a right relationship with others in the church when we get a firm grip on verse number three. When we recognize that we're all vital in the eyes of the Savior. And that's none of us, including you including me, has any reason to boast. We are all objects of His undeserved and unbelievable grace. So it starts there. We take another step down that road to developing a right relationship uh, with others and a right relationship in the church, especially when we understand why we're in the church in the first place. And he talks about that here, doesn't he? It may come as a shock to some, But it is not primarily to get something out of church that we come to church. That's not our reason for coming. You know, we are in the church to serve others. And that's hinted at in verses 4 and 5 and is explained in the remainder of the section. In in our culture, it's very common for people to go from church to church looking for a place. And we hear them use the terminology like, I'm looking for a place where I can be fed. We hear that kind of a thing. In other words, something I can get out of it. Looking for a place where uh, people are friendly to me. Or looking for a place where uh, the music is really, really good and I can really enjoy the worship service. We hear that kind of stuff all the time. But in most such cases, Christians like that are looking for a church to give them something. Scripture actually teaches that's not a right motive. Scripture teaches that's not why we go to church. Now, it's true. We get great benefit when we go to church. We do worship. We do grow. We do develop wonderful friendships and and loving relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. All that. But that's not our motive. That's not why we go. The motive in seeking a church ought to be, where can I serve? And that's one of the things Paul's hitting on in this passage. You see, the church as a whole is a whole that is made up of its parts. That's what he's talking about in verses 4 and 5. And each part is vital. Each part has a role. Each part plays a function. Each part has a job to do. Paul uses the the picture of the body, and that's always instructive. Which part of your body are you willing to get rid of? I probably have some I could 
shed. But for the most part, there's no part of our body that we cannot do without. And uh, the picture here is that you are, it's, it's true of the church, you are a part of the body and therefore you have a function. And whether you believe it or not, it's vital. It's vital. Well, this is where the topic of spiritual gifts comes in. And that's what he's talking about in this passage. Gifts of the Spirit. God didn't place you here in this church or in any church and say, get busy and serve without giving you the tools that you need to do the job. I heard one preacher say one time that uh, God does not call uh, those who are necessarily equipped, but he equips those that he does call. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's going to give you the gifts. He does give you the gifts. He has given you the gifts so that you can do the things that are necessary to serve him as he would have you serve uh, in whatever local church you serve in. Well, this text in Romans is one of the primary ones in our Bible that deals with spiritual gifts. And I want you to notice some things that it says. It kind of gives us the whole synopsis here. This might be the key passage in understanding spiritual gifts, maybe. But notice in verse number three, he talks about the source of the gifts. Where do they come from? They come from God. God has dealt to each man. In verse number three, he talks also about the universality of the gifts. He says that they are given to each one. We're going to talk about that for a little bit. Each one. In verse number four, he talks about the diversity of the gifts. Not everyone has the same function. Verse number four. Verse number five, he talks about the focus of the gifts. That we, being many, are one body. The focus of the gifts is that we might together serve the Lord as one body. And then, of course, in verse number six, he talks about the application of the gifts. Let us use them. And so what Paul's teaching in this passage is that we are to serve the body by using the gifts given by the Holy Spirit. One man said this, a believer's consecration to God and his transformed lifestyle is demonstrated in his exercising his spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. Paul's key thought, and the one that maybe you want to underline in your Bible is verse number six. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. We'll stop right there. Having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. There's two main points in that verse, and that's how I want to break down our study for the rest of of our time this morning. Number one, you have gifts. Number two, you should use gifts. Having then gifts, let us use them. Let's break it down that way. First of all, having then gifts. There are four primary passages, by the way, in the Bible that talk about spiritual gifts. Here, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. And just for a few minutes today, let's go and look at those other passages. I want you to see some things about them. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, turn with me there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. And I think as I begin reading, you'll see that quite clearly this passage is dealing with spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, that's pretty clear, isn't it? He's talking about spiritual gifts here. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit... And when you see that, you could read gift of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit to another, the word of knowledge through the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the same spirit to another, the working of miracles to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits to another different kinds of tongues to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things 
distributing to each one individually as he wills. Look at another passage, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, just a couple of verses there talk about spiritual gifts. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. Ephesians 4, 7. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. One more passage, 1 Peter chapter 4. Just two verses there. 1 Peter chapter 4. Well, I used to have 1 Peter in my Bible. I can't find it. There it is. 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verse number 10. As each one has received a gift... Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So four passages in our New Testament talk primarily about the matter of spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. And if you look at those and study those out, you'll find that there are similarities between them and there are also variations between them. Uh, for example, one obvious difference between them, which perhaps you notice as we read them, is that the lists themselves of gifts are different. Did you notice that? There might have been some overlap, but for the most part, they were not the same. In Romans, the list of spiritual gifts included prophecy and ministry and teaching and exhortation and giving and leadership and showing mercy. In 1 Corinthians, we had a completely different list. 1 Corinthians, by the way, the emphasis is slightly different. In 1 Corinthians, Paul was correcting misuse of this, this topic of spiritual gifts. Uh, and so you need to read it that way. But uh, there the list is different. It includes things like the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healings, the working of miracles and prophecy and discerning of spirits and different kinds of tongues and, and the interpretation of tongues. Completely different list. In Ephesians, the emphasis is also slightly different because in Ephesians, Paul, God is talking about uh, the fact that he has gifted people to the church. These are gifted people. And he talks there about uh, the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and teachers. Still different, some overlap. And then in First Peter, the short list includes only two things, speaking and ministering. And so one of the differences that we see first off is that the lists are not the same. There's variation. I don't know what we could draw from that. I mean, I, I'm sure we could all come up with some, some reasoning behind that. But I think one thing we have to recognize is that the lists are representative rather than exhaustive. Uh, these are not the only things that are spiritual gifts. If there was the one definitive list of spiritual gifts, I think the Holy Spirit would have given it to us. We don't have that. We just have examples in these various places. And let, let me just say this as an aside. Let, let me just mention this because it's important for you to understand where our church stands on these kinds of things. There are some gifts listed in these texts and specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which seem to have no purpose today. We believe have no purpose today. 
the miraculous gifts of prophecy and healing and tongues and interpretation of tongues and, and uh, those things, the working of miracles. Uh, we believe those were temporary. We believe the Bible clearly teaches that they were sign gifts. Their purpose was to authenticate the ministry of the apostles. Matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, uh, Paul refers to them as signs of an apostle. And so once the apostles had the completed word of God, they no longer needed that. We no longer need that authentication. They would come into an area and have to have some... Why would anybody believe Paul when he walked into an area? Because he was able to do these miraculous things. And so it lended authenticity to what he was doing. We don't need that. We have the word of God. It's complete. And so those things have passed off the scene. And I just want to mention that because it's important we understand. We don't practice those here and uh, don't believe that they are for today. But that's an aside. The point I want you to see, there's variety in the lists. There is a, they're, they're not all the same. But there's also a very important similarity in the list. Did you notice that? Perhaps you did. Each of the four texts dealing with spiritual gifts makes a point very, very clear. Uh, and that is that they are universal. Every single one of these passages says that every Christian has gifts. There's, there's, there's no, no way out of it. You can't wiggle out of it. It's in every one of these four. The gifts of the spirits are given to every believer. In Romans chapter 12 and verse number 6, our text, it says, having then gifts. That is, that's indicating that we all have them uh, built into that. Uh, Ephesians says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. First Peter chapter 4, as each one has received a gift, minister to one another. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Pretty similar. I don't see how we get out of it. By the way, I love the way the New Living Translation does that last verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. It says, the spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. It's so clear. So do you get it, Christian? Do you get it? You have a spiritual gift or gifts. I have spiritual gifts. Uh, There's not a single person in this room that is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ who is left out. It's good news. It's wonderful news. The Lord has not left us to serve in His church and to serve well amongst His people without giving us the giftedness that is necessary to make that happen. Now, I've met some Christians who wish that wasn't true. I've met some Christians who would just prefer to not have a spiritual gift. I like to refer to them as shampoo bottle Christians. You ever read the instructions on a shampoo bottle? Anybody know what the instructions are on a shampoo bottle? Lather, rinse, repeat. You ever see that? Well, you know, I think that there are some shampoo bottle Christians. They're lazy Christians who only attend church for what they can get, and they have no interest in serving God or others. They come, they sit, they soak, and they leave. The following Sunday, they might repeat. They wouldn't really want to have a spiritual gift. They don't really want to know that because they just want to sit quietly and be left alone. But you know, the fact is the Bible says here, even they. All Christians have spiritual gifts, and we have them for a purpose. So we might want to write down in the margin of our Bible, right next to verse number 6, I have gifts. You might want to write that there. I have gifts. Having the gifts. Number two. Here's the second thing I want us to notice this morning. Let us use them. Let us use them. And this is another similarity that we see in each passage on spiritual gifts. We're supposed to use them for the benefit of the local church. They're not something God gave us that we take home and we set on the shelf and we look at it every once in a while and say, isn't that a pretty shiny gift? That's not what it's for. It's not just for us to puff up our chest and say, I have this wonderful ability. Do you use it for anything? No. But I have it and I love it and it's wonderful. No, that's not what it's for. They are to be used and they are to be used in the context of the local church. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, we read this. Corinthians says the gifts are for the profit of all so that we can help each other. 
That's their purpose. Ephesians chapter 4 says that the gifts are for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry and for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4 says that as each one has received a gift, a gift, minister it to one another. In other words, use it. And of course, Paul is clearest here in our text when he says, uh, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Now, I don't think there's a whole lot of exposition needed here. I don't think there's a whole lot of explanation needed here. We all understand what this means, right? It doesn't, there's nothing, I can't go to the Greek and come up with anything different. It means exactly what it says. If you have a gift, you ought to be using it. Do you have a gift? We've already made that point. Yes. Therefore, you ought to be using it. I don't think I go too far when I say that this is the secret to success in any church. I really believe that. When the people God has gifted and placed in a church faithfully exercise those gifts, the church is built. The body is edified. The machinery of the church hums along just beautifully. And good things happen. The kingdom is built. Now, I don't think I go too far when I say it's a secret of success to the individual Christian's life, too. You know, if you don't use the, the attributes of your physical body, if you don't use your muscles, if you don't use your limbs, they atrophy, right? And they, they, they get to the point where they don't work right, right? And I think the same thing is true. In our spiritual life, if we sit and do nothing, if God has given us something to do and we're not doing it, we can't be healthy. We're not going to be healthy in our walk with Christ because of the fact that we're not using the gift that we have and we've put it on a shelf. Shampoo bottle Christians hurt their church because the church loses out on the gifts God gave for its benefit. But shampoo bottle Christians also hurt themselves because when we use our our gifts, the benefits to us are immense. When my wife's father died, the lengthy process of dealing with his estate began, and they started digging through his things and distributing things to family members and, and disposing of some other things. He was a kind of a hoarder, and so there was just a tremendous job that w- ensued there. One day they came across a drawer in one of his dressers that was absolutely overflowing with brand-new, unopened packages of gloves. He was a farmer. And he used gloves for everything. And so that was one of those gifts that every year at Christmas time, what do we get, Dad? Well, he could always use gloves. And so everybody would give him gloves. They'd be stocking stuff with gloves and packages with gloves. Never used any of them. Put them all in a drawer. Continued to use these threadbare things, fingers hanging out, all this kind of stuff the whole time. Refused to use them. And they just remained in the drawer. He, you know, he could have had the benefit of clean, new gloves constantly because there were so many in there he could have opened his own store. But, No. He just, he just left it there in a drawer. And I can't help but wonder, where are your gifts, Christian? Are they in use? Or are they in a drawer? I fear that far too many of us are like my father-in-law. And we just get all these wonderful gifts. And we just stick them in a drawer. Let us use them. Well, I want to conclude with just a quick rundown of the particular gifts Paul mentions here. I'm just going to mention these. And uh, they are, there's some examples, and since he mentions them, I will. He talks about the gift of prophecy. Prophecy. Prophecy is the proclaiming of God's Word. It's used in Scripture of both the foretelling, in other words, being able to see the future, and the forthtelling of the Word of God, just proclaiming it. Uh, there is an aspect of prophecy in Scripture which oftentimes requires direct revelation from God. That part of it we do not believe is for today. We have all the revelation from God in the Word of God. 
But there's an aspect of prophecy which is just simply the proclaiming of the Word of God. There's an aspect of prophecy which I am doing right now. We might say it's preaching uh, of the Word of God. And so that part certainly applies today to anybody who teaches the Word or preach the Word. And so I wonder this morning, do you have the gift of prophecy? Somebody in this room probably does. Or maybe more than one. Maybe you have the ability to preach the word with power. You know, we've been talking for a long time in this church about the importance of a transition plan. You know, I like to hunt. If I fall out of a tree stand tomorrow, or if I'm driving down the road and a deer runs out in front of me and I run off the road and crack my neck on a tree, the goal would be that you'd come and there'd be somebody standing in the pulpit and six months from now you'd say, hey, there used to be somebody named Bill here. Whatever happened to him? You would not even notice because it would be just such a smooth transition. Uh, but you know what that requires? That requires that there's people in our midst that are being trained up and raised up and taught. And that means there's got to be somebody who has the gift of prophecy. And I wonder if that's you. Believe me, if you want to preach, we'll figure out a way to get you up here. Brother Josh is an example, uh, if you want. And so think about that. Do you have the gift of prophecy? Or the gift of ministering. He talks about that here. And that's a very broad term. And it, it basically refers to serving in any capacity. I think it's deacons. I think it's deaconesses. I think that's what he's talking about there. Any who are gifted to serve in a similar capacity to that. There is no end of things that need to be done in a local church. Often the excuses for not serving uh, assume that we're only looking for people to stand and preach, or we're only looking for people to teach, or we're only looking for the upfront pulpit type ministries. I, I know I've read just like you have that the fear of public speaking is the number one fear. People would rather take a bullet than they would stand and speak in front of other people. I know that, and so a lot of people will shy off and say, "Oh no, 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 no I'm not gifted." But there's all kinds of gifts. Ministering is one of them. And ministry is just serving. You know what church needs? Church needs things like uh, people who can use shovels and who can mow lawns and who can push brooms and water plants and change light bulbs and unstop toilets and send letters and uh, decorate the room and all those kind of things. Can you do those things? Are you gifted in those areas? Our church has some of the best kitchen ministers on the face of the earth. The things that come out of that tiny little kitchen down there, it is clear that it is of supernatural origin. It has to be. has to be a gift of the Spirit. Maybe you have such a gift. Are you using it? He talks about the gift of teaching. I think the gift of teaching is similar to the gift of prophecy, but it's also different. I think prophecy is referring primarily to public proclamation or preaching or pulpit-style ministry. But teaching is a broader term. Teaching encompasses any sharing of the Word of God. Any sharing with somebody else. It might encompassing things like sitting down with a young Christian over coffee and working through the FBC Biblical Essentials book with them. Or taking the FBC 101 book and discipling a new or almost new Christian. I think it includes things like dads reading and explaining Bible verses to their kids over their devotions. I think it includes preparing lessons for Sunday school or junior church or vacation Bible school. Any sharing of the Word of God with somebody else falls into this category of teaching. Now, there is a measure of this that is, has nothing to do with giftedness. It's a responsibility. We're supposed to all be sharing the Word of God, gifted or not. All of us should be teaching in some capacity. The writer of the Hebrews rebuked his readers for not being teachers. He said in Hebrews 5.12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For this time, you ought to be teachers. 
So whether it's your kids or your spouse or your neighbor or your co-worker or some in your local church, you need to be sharing biblical t- truth. You know, in January, I will start my 10th year as pastor here. In the nine years that have been invested here, there has been a lot of constants. But one of the constants is we're always needing teachers. It just never ends. There are so many age groups and so many classes of, of, of individuals that we just have never been able to reach because, not because we don't want to, not because the desire is not there, but because we have nobody to teach. I think some who have sat where they sit for most of those nine years ought to hear the word. By this time, you ought to be teachers. We need more. We need more. Can you teach? In your heart of hearts, do you sit there and you say, you know what? It's possible that may be something God has gifted me to do. Is that true of you? If so, are you using it? Or is it in a drawer? A couple more. He talks about exhortation. Exhortation. This is the gift of encouragement. It can happen from the pulpit. A preacher can stand up here and preach an encouraging and uplifting sermon, and that would be use of the gift of exhortation in a way. But I think more often than not, this is a one-on-one gift. It's a, such an important gift. And an often overlooked gift. You know the ones who have the gift of exhortation because they're the ones who come in before the service and they're flitting all about the service. They're shaking everybody's hands. They're hanging on everybody's neck. They're, they're just encouraging everybody. Uh, you've seen people like that. I knew a fellow by the name of George Patrick who had that gift. George Patrick was an old man that I knew in New Jersey at the church there. Every Lord's Day you'd see George Patrick in his crazy, wild, brightly colored blazers you'd see him standing back by the door and people would come and shake hands and he'd shake hands with them and hug their neck and laugh with them and smile he had an infectious laugh he'd always ask how they were and every once in a while somebody he'd ask how how they were and somebody would share a hurt they weren't good and george would put his arm around them you'd see him back there just praying quietly with that person he had the gift of exhortation I think my wife had that gift. I think when God called her home, we all felt the loss of that. I wonder, has that void been filled? There's other people who have the gift of exhortation. Are you using it? Or do you come in on a Sunday morning knowing that there's people who might need your hugs, might need your encouragement, and you just sit down? We need people with the gift of exhortation. Are you using it, or is it in a drawer? Just a couple more. He talks about the gift of giving. We're all to give. The Bible says the Bible is clear that Christians ought to give. And we ought to start somewhere around 10%. That's taught in Scripture. There's an aspect of giving which is responsibility. It's stewardship. But you know what? There's a gift of giving. Some people just love to give. A while back, we, we believed that God was leading us to add on to our building here. It cost us over $300,000. Where did all that money come from? We didn't have to borrow a penny. I mean, obviously, somebody has the gift of giving. Praise God! Because the money just poured in. As we needed it. Do you have that gift? Is it being used? Or is it in a drawer? 
The gift of leading. Some people are gifted in administration and leading others. Last year we gave one of our elders, Brother Sean back there, uh, the role of administrative elder. He's responsible for the business side of the church. You know why we did that? Because he has this gift. He's gifted in administration and leadership. Maybe you do. Are you using it? Or is it in a drawer? One last one he talks about is the gift of showing mercy. And thank God for people with that gift. You know, that's one gift I pray for. I don't know about you. Paul says we ought to seek earnestly the best gifts. To me, in my mind, this is one of the best gifts. I'd like to have this gift in increasing measure. I'd like to be able to show mercy to people the way the Lord has shown mercy to me. I want to show it no matter where they are, just as Christ has done. So what about you? Got that one? Are you using it? Or is it in a drawer? Well, I'm done. Paul is clear, isn't he? I mean, this is not a rocket science message today. It's all very, very simple stuff. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. 